Welcome back, everyone. This is the 46th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. This month is a special one and our first ever tandem interview. Joining me for a free rotation special are the festival's founders, Stevie O and Susie B. Longtime lover of music of all kinds, Stevio is a producer and live musician who has roots in the warehouse party scene where he met partner Susie B, an artist and visual performer who also fell in love with electronic music. Influenced by the free festival movement around the UK in the 1980s, they created Free Rotation, an annual gathering of music and arts which now takes place in Baskerville Hall, Wales, and has, since its inception in the mid-2000s, become one of the scene's best-loved festivals. Kept relatively small and amongst friends and friends of friends, Free Rotation is known for its thoughtful curation of both DJs, live acts, and VJs, and its intimate, familial setting. In this conversation, Stevio, Susie, and I get into the festival's early days, its direction and curation today, plus their own personal histories in art and music, and their distinctive, creative philosophies. so much for taking the time it's been like such a long time coming this interview i think we first started talking about it like two or three years ago um so thanks for joining me yes thank you for having us yeah that's cool i guess after you know finally after two cancellations free rotation is finally happening again this year in 2022 uh how is the planning going for that yeah i mean it's it's all pretty smooth really because we've already done most of the work for it um because we're keeping quite close to the lineup that we had booked for uh 2020 um it's not exactly the same but it's quite a large percentage percentage of it is so uh that means we don't have to do a lot of the groundwork before the festival um, but we still have all the admin to do the ticket sales, um, the organization of the, the, the tech and things like that. A large chunk of the work's already been done, but you know, it's still a lot of work between now and July. Any special bookings this year that you guys are really looking forward to, or like what can we expect that's going to be you think special this year? Yeah, I, I book the artists, so um, yeah, uh, Susie books the visual artist. Um, I uh, I can't actually say who's playing because um, <laughs> the lineup is secret at the moment. Okay. Um, sorry about that. That's okay. That's not what you wanted to hear, but <laughs> we've both been buzzing about certain artists that we haven't heard before, mm. you know, recently, and uh, mm-hmm. so there's definitely. <laughs> 
definitely um, new artists that have got a special vibe about them. Great. Yeah, so like a bit of old and new kind of thing. Some new yeah, artists. I think that's always the plan. Um, we we have a quite a large percentage of residents. So the guys come every year. Um, we have some what biannual residents, so they come every two years. So those people, you know, are the usual guys. Um, but uh, we always have quite a a good uh, mixture of new artists as well. So yeah, the ones that we've picked are probably less well known, and you know, they're not big name type artists. We prefer to find new, uh, new people, you know, new artists with new ideas and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. the new ones we've got this year are all quite underground and, you know, we think they're really interesting. So, mm-hmm. uh, but we do that every year, really. That's that's the standard plan. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, because the festival officially got off the ground around like 2007, I think. So I'm wondering what is the biggest change that you've seen in the festival since then? Like, for me, I mean, I've only attended once, but I get the feeling that ever since the beginning, the vibe has really been the same. And the only change is, is that it's really just gotten a bit bigger. That pretty much sums it up, really. Um, <laughs> it sort of gradually evolved, really, because um, I was involved in uh, the free festival movement in in the UK. We sort of evolved out of that. And we started off with just parties in our house. Um, we were renting a sort of fairly big house in Wales when we when we first came here. It was a perfect house for parties, really. So we just had big parties, maybe 100 people. And a kind of crew grew up around that, uh, a sort of you know, a, a basic core crew of people, DJs and musicians and visual people. And... It just kept getting bigger and more and more people kept coming to parties and we just thought, well, we can't keep doing this in the house. So we <laughs> we did one. The first one was actually in 2005, the first one out of, that wasn't in the house. And it wasn't at Baskerville Hall where it is now. It was in a, a outward bound centre up in the hills near near here. I don't think they were going to book any more parties out of Yeah, they, <laughs> it, it didn't work because, I mean, the party was brilliant, brilliant, but... Uh, we had people coming down from Scotland and all over um, for it. And the locals, it was too much for the locals. <laughs> it was quite close to a village. Yeah. So we, we couldn't do it in there anymore. So we had a year out. Um, and then we started in Baskerville Hall in 2007. And what so, made you decide on Baskerville Hall as your venue? Well, it was fortuitous, really, because um, we had a friend who used to put parties on there. And he did, every year he did uh, a big party. He decided he wasn't going to do it anymore. He'd been doing it for 10 years. And mm. Baskerville Hall originally was, um, it, it, there was raves on there almost every weekend. It was, yeah, it wasn't a hotel like it is now. It was, you know, it was a bit of a, I, I never went to any of them, but from what I've heard, it was quite, uh, it's a bit run down. It's a long and, history, isn't it? Yeah, it's just had a long history yeah. of having like raves in there. And our friend took started doing the party, and he'd yeah. been doing it for ten years. And then he decided, oh, that's it. I've had enough. He sort of it was a lot of work. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, well, that's the perfect venue for for what we want to do. So yeah, it was quite lucky that he decided to stop at that time. 
And then he just introduced us to the management and said, oh, you know, these people were going to do this. And that was it, really. That's how, how it, it developed. And then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. The first one was, I think there was 165 people there. And there was one main room and there was uh, a chill out room and there was no sound system outside or anything. So it was a two room party. It it sort of grew the next year. It went, went, you know, much bigger. It was about, say, three or four hundred people. And then after that, it was just sold out every year after that. Wow. I'd been doing uh, vinyl distribution for for quite a while, distributing techno records. It was just a small one man operation type thing. We got the name from a friend. He said, oh, why don't you call it Free Rotation? And so that's where the name came from. Yeah, it came from being a collective of, of... Of record labels, yeah. it was all our friends' well, record labels, and, and then it, we just kept the name for the the, the festivals. And you, I remember when the first time we did it, and you were making connections with with people in record shops in different places because yeah. we knew that we'd need to reach more people. I mean, we're, we've got friends and friends of friends that would come to the house parties and the house parties were getting too big. So that was a natural progression, but also needed to reach out to a few people further afield. And then so those people in s- certain different cities that came to the first one then brought more friends to the following one. Yeah. And the whole concept of it being a friends of friends yeah. party um, developed partly naturally and partly out of the need for it to be a members only event i think was it a stipulation of the hall that it that it be members no no, no. That, that was our, that was our decision i uh, not remember it was basically be like susie says we you know we made these contacts through the record distribution in different parts of the country and and, and more and more people started coming friends of friends so it was a friends of friends party right from the start and before long it was sold out just like that so we had to make it membership only really because we didn't want those people not to be able to come to the party every year you know right, so right, right. we had to make it members or else there would have been far too many people trying to buy tickets and all, all our friends wouldn't be able to come which was crazy because that's what it was to start with and did you know after that first year did you know how special it was like did it feel like the start of something really important for you guys the first year yeah it's hard to remember now <laughs> <laughs> the first one, maybe not, because they w- was we lost a lot of money. So we weren't sure, oh, are we going to keep doing it? But it's... We definitely, I don't remember coming away from it feeling that there was any lack of vibe or lack of... Oh, no, no. Uh, was, yeah, of, was, pa- of passion on the dance floor sort of thing. Mm, I mean, I suppose yeah. if we wouldn't have tried to keep going if we hadn't been encouraged by s- yeah, certain yeah. elements, that, yeah. the, you know, the seeds or something. But, sure. yeah, we had to keep going through a few years of... Having to borrow money to get through it, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Self-sustaining after that. Um, I was going to say as well that the basketball hall was originally built as a party house. Really? By Thomas Baskerville for his wife. (laughs) Perfect fit. (laughs) How cool is that? Um, So, Stevie, earlier you mentioned coming from the free festival movement. Can you explain a bit about what that is exactly and how you got involved with it and what was so special about that that it made you want to start your own sort of thing? I'd done other things before. I'd done other events before. um, So I'd had a bit of experience. I used to run a a electro breakdance club in Newcastle. 
it was in the early 80s and it was it was for kids it was for under 18s at that time no one knew anything about breakdancing or, or electro or, or, or that kind of music and we introduced it to the, the city and it became huge and we would get like 2,000 kids every Saturday come into this thing <laughs> and and so I, I had this kind of experience of organizing things so it sort of naturally progressed from that really and then in the late 80s, I was organizing with a friend of mine, Frank. We were organizing a sort of rock type night, which was uh, it was acid rock and psychedelic rock and things like that, which was also kind of connected to the free festival movement at the time. It was before dance music became involved in, in that scene. Uh, at that time, it was, you know, it was it was bands playing that kind of music, sort of psychedelic rock music. Mm-hmm. And I, I was traveling a lot. So I was traveling around in a bus and living in this bus. And we travel around the festivals throughout the summer. And we just got to know more and more people. Various crews starting to do dance music things. So like Spiral Tribe would show up mm-hmm. and DIY and people like that, um, sound systems. And I just gradually got sucked into the electronic side of it. So it sort of gradually morphed really from a kind of hippie festival type vibe into, you know, a proper techno party vibe. So it it just sort of evolved like that. But free rotation has always been dance music, electronic dance music. Yeah, I suppose that's it really. What about the... um, the Warehouse parties as well. Oh yeah, the warehouse. Yeah, the warehouse party scene was huge. That's when I met him. <laughs> when yeah. Doing that. yeah, so so we were putting on warehouse techno, but warehouse parties in Newcastle. A friend of mine, Gav Richardson, and um, and some other guys, quite a big crew of people, were putting on these parties. It got ridiculously big. It, it, there was one one party was three thousand people there. <laughs> and the police decided to show up with helicopters and searchlights and it confiscated the sound systems. Yeah. And it just just confiscated all the records off the DJ's records. <laughs> Everyone got think everything back eventually, but it took months to get them back off the police. So so you know that that was the background before free rotation. It was all um, you know, illegal warehouse parties. Mm. You know, it was a good foundation for for what we we did with free rotation, really. Apparently, from the beginning, you guys knew that you wanted it to be an audiovisual thing. So, why is that? Like, what do you think the visual side of things brings to the overall like festival or music experience? When we met, we always talked about combining what we do because I'm a visual artist and he's a musician, and mm-hmm. so we daydreamed about um, the idea of being able to combine animation with music before the software even existed like what was an idea of stevios i you know i guess um how ideas come about naturally at certain times in cultural progress kind of thing and obviously other people who had the wherewithal to create the software were thinking the same thing yeah we 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 were (laughs) almost going to pay someone yeah, to make some software because the there was not there was no audiovisual software at the time wow. um and uh but we just thought oh we can't afford it um and then literally about one or two years after that it started to appear that you know mm. the um 
the good good software that you could use for VJing. So how lucky. And we, yeah, yeah, I was lucky. Yeah, we started off. Um, I would do backdrops for for the parties that we'd put on once the software was available to do the visuals with movement and projection. It was a that was a natural progression um, from mm. backdrops. You know, we picked up ideas from different places we'd been about creating environments so that the spaces are are not just like one option. It's it's really a good vibe is just to have a really dark space where you just mm-hmm. purely focused on the music, and you know the black box um, concept is is like that's there's definitely something to that, and I suppose we've semi kind of got an element of that with our room three because the there's just some backlit backdrops in a black in a black space there's no projections in there and and I think that there's has its own merits kind of thing but also like around the rest of the site there's still if not actual visuals like us art around and like just an overall arty sort of feel to it would you say yeah well we definitely liked the idea of creating spaces that were obviously like there's the aesthetic side of it so you know trying to create spaces that have something beautiful about them but also the idea that if you put energy and love into a space then people will get energy and love back out of it so that's why we make sure that you know the chill out spaces and things like that have got that kind of thing and and they're quite often representing a combination of a sort of harmonious combination of nature and technology you know so there's an element of organicness as well as design keeping it fluffy really isn't it sort of creating spaces where people will have a a happy time even things like um we had a friend uh, we've got a friend who when we used to go around there uh, to her house and we went if you ever went to the to the loo in her house <laughs> they, they, she always had these lovely um quotes on the on the wall mm-hmm. that you could read when you went to the toilet and I never forgot that and we made sure that we did that for rotation yeah. as well and our friends have taken that on they've put energy and creative energy into that which I think is really important because when you go to the loo you're coming out of the intense situation and you're having some quiet me time in a way and <laughs> it's quite good to be given some good vibes when you're in that situation because people are, quite often when you're dancing you're dancing out all sorts of stuff that's going on in your head and your heart mm. and uh it's quite good to be have someone hold your hand kind of thing when you kind <laughs> of like have a quiet moment I love that so how are you approaching the the issue of bookings in those early days like was it really just a question of who you were interested in uh whose music you liked or did you find yourself having to branch out of your own taste in order to like cover every genre or appeal to a bigger audience for example I think it's always been my taste I don't think I've ever booked anyone that I didn't think you know, I really liked, you know, I've, I've liked everyone we've booked. Um, but we did, obviously, at the time when when free, when free Rotation started, I was mostly a, a techno artist in the sense that it was, you know, fairly fast uh, techno. Um, I was starting to slow down a bit, so I was getting a little bit more minimal, but it was still 
quite sort of, you know, banging sort of techno, really. Mm-hmm. And I didn't listen to an awful lot of house music, but I did like it. And I was sort of using friends as suggestions as well. So, you know, there was various people involved in that. The core the core crew from Free Rotation, so those guys were, were all slightly different. Everyone had a slightly different style. So mm-hmm. it was quite easy to branch out from that with those. And also, um, we had a lot of help from people like Lorato, um, who's DJ Lacuti, who was our friend, and she was living in London at the time. Yeah, she would suggest people, like, for instance, the first one, uh, Move D, uh, played at the very first one, <laughs> and also Shackleton. Wow. And I didn't really know Move D at the time, and I didn't know Shackleton at the time. Hmm. Um, and it was Lerato's suggestion. Uh, so I checked them out. I wouldn't just book someone on someone's suggestion. I would check them okay. out first and, and decide whether they were they were right for the party. Mm-hmm. That was a great way to branch away from techno because Move D was more housey and Shackleton at the time was called it was called dubstep, but you know it, whatever whatever it was, um, it, it, that was a complete different type of music so it you know so we started off with with various artists that weren't in my field exactly um Mm. but were related so the music's all had a a kind of relation there was various other people i mean i can't list everyone but um you know all the guys who are involved in the actual core collective of free rotation their suggestions came into it and yeah, so it's, it's a sort of group effort, really. It always has mm-hmm. been. Uh, when you say the core crew, you're talking about uh, Joe and Tom Ellis, Leif, Grimes Adhesive, Sam Watson, those guys. Yeah, and Ducker. Uh, yeah, and there's various others. You know, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite a big core of people. Um, but I suppose Tom the well, yeah, Tom DeMac, um, yeah, Swade uh, adapted. And yeah, there's there's a lot of people we could we could mention. This is sort of you know I don't want to leave people out. But yeah, um, I suppose the the actual you know the 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 core crew that that you talk, I was talking about there was was what you said. Yeah, um, those guys are they were the ones that used to play at the party. Um, and Les Wilkins as well, a, Earth, a DJ Earth Doctor, and mm-hmm. that that's that's how it it works really. It, it's you know I still get suggestions from all these guys mm-hmm. um some of some of the some of the more obscure artists come from those suggestions so how does booking this festival whether that's the vjs or the artists or even just like having this festival in your mind for eight months of the year how does that indulge your creativity as artists yourselves from my point of view, I keep the two things quite separate, I suppose. I try to switch off about free rotation when I'm doing my creative side because it, it is, it does preoccupy me a lot of the time. It's more than just eight months. I mean, eight months is the, you know, that is the, uh, the actual work time. But then the other four months, you, you've got it on your mind. It's always in the back of your mind. It never, every single day, the, the name free rotation is mentioned in our house for, in one way or the other. You can't, you can't escape it really. But um, so when I'm in the studio, I switch all that off. Uh, it's, you know, I, I'm in my own little world and I shut the door and that's it. So yeah, the two don't cross over too much, but 
it, the great thing about it from my point of view was that it was a chance for me to try things out at free rotation. Mm. So I started doing the modular stuff in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a branch away from what I'd been doing before that. I was using synthesizers and drum machines. And when I started with the modular, although a modular had been around a long time, there wasn't that many people doing it. And so it was a thought, it was, I'll try doing this at free rotation and, it took me a couple of years to get proficient enough to to be able to do it. I think the first, I think no, I think it was 2010, the first one I did, mm-hmm. and it was great because it was a chance to see if people would respond to it, and um, and yeah, and then developed it, de- developed it from there, sort of thing. So it's a chance to test out what you're doing uh, with people you you trust their opinion, you know, because. Mm-hmm. It's not just the core crew, it's everyone there. You know, I trust them because, you know, they come year in, year out and they know what they like and they're all quite, you know, they're all quite knowledgeable about the music. So if you go, if you if you bomb, if you play a really bad set, you're going to know about it. Like so. It's a lot to do with the friendships that you make and therefore the support network you, you develop from that, you know, both in a friendship and a creative support way. A lot of what makes the party special is is those the sort of the connections that people make and the friendships that we make. And that's a lot of what what drives the whole thing. Everyone's connected by their love of the music. I suppose that's one of the things that, that's come out of the progression year on year of the event is that you do you get seem to get an increasing sense of um, a collective consciousness or a collective energy that is quite palpable, if that's the right word. So um, that's something that's been a really interesting thing, and a lot of the reason why we're so passionate about about keeping it going is because of the fact that it's become something that's not just about a party that we've created. Um, it's it exists because of the energies that come from so many different people that are involved in it, in all the different aspects. I mean, I know it's, it's you know, that that's the same with the, with a lot of events, but it definitely has a particular sense of community that's, that's kind of developed that kind of comes back around to the creative side mm. as well, because that it's sort of um, self feeding kind of. That feeds you. Yeah. yeah. I understand. You guys been performing all every year together. When was our first? When did we first start doing performing together? Was um, it right at the beginning? It of sort of grew. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah right, right from, from the first. When, yeah. yeah, from yeah. when free rotation has certainly been happening. Yeah, it must be a nice sort of break from like the planning and organizing side of it to like just be able to have your your moment of 
totally switching off from all of that, like not being the organizers anymore and just being there as like performers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think yeah. the only trouble is sometimes we don't play because we're too stressed out. Most of the time, it's not that doesn't happen. Most of the time we enjoy playing. And uh, but occasionally if things get a bit heavy for, for one reason or another, um, we just have to say, oh, look, we, we can't play, so we, we just pull uh, pull it. But but most of the time, yeah, it's it's nice to, to play in front of the, those people, you know. And, yeah, like I say, we trust their judgment. And if you're getting a good buzz off the crowd, you know that, you know, you're doing something right. And so, yeah, yeah, definitely. Stevia, you mentioned that you're now, well, you have been working with modulars for some years now. Uh, and so as far as I understand, everything that we're hearing is 100% in- improvised from you, including your performances and also your releases. Is that right? Yeah, the, well, uh, the releases are, are all 100% improvised mm-hmm. and the performances depend on what what the performance is because I do different versions of it. I do like a hybrid thing. Which is which is quite often what I do if if we can't carry all our equipment to a gig because sometimes it's just not practical. Um, you big setup you've got going. Well, when I first started, it was I always played one hundred percent improvised, um, and I used to carry this huge rig to to the gigs. I didn't do that many gigs outside of outside of free rotation because it was just so impractical, but. You know, I played a course at the studios and, and a few other places. And I used to have to set all this up and it was huge and heavy. And uh, it got to the point where I thought, I can't, I, I, I'm not going to be able to do that many gigs like this. And I want to do more gigs. So we did, we had a sort of hybrid setup, which is, is basically 50-50, I'd say. It's like 50% purely improvised and... 50% stuff that I've recorded that I'm sort of mixing a bit like a DJ, but mixing my own stuff mm. and mixing it with the live stuff. So, you know, it's like kind of, there's no plan to it. It can be like, Oh, I'll use this bit here and then I'll uh, mix in some live stuff here and put some rhythms on top of it there or whatever. Mm. So it's still very improvised in lots of ways, but, um, it's not 100% improvised. It, it, it's it's 100% improvised yeah. in the moment, but mm. some of the music's being recorded. Right, some right. of it sometimes it's just a loop, or maybe it's some stems from a track that I'm just just got the percussion from, or something like that. So there's there's it's a mixture of everything really, and that's mm. what I would do if if it wasn't practical. You know, so certain gigs when you fly in, you can't, you know, for instance, you can't carry all your equipment. Yeah. Um, but if it's a if it's a big festival gig or something, then I'll take everything, you know, and, and just do a purely improvised one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a free rotation, for instance, I, I think I've done three or four, maybe five imp- purely improvised ones and maybe mm-hmm. five or something that were hybrid ones. And Susie, how about for you? Are is it more of a structure to your work, or are you just like in the moment as well? It's both. A lot. I put a lot of the energy into creating the animations themselves in the first place. So I'm. I suppose I'm more DJing my visuals than than playing as than playing as right, live a studio. Sense. But it's yeah. also 
able to be improvised in the sense of you're making choices based on what's happening in the music um, in terms of what you play at any one time and the uh, effects and things that I use mm -hmm. with it. So, um, uh, yeah, they have become more more part. Yeah, it's a really nice way of having that, that balance between it. You know, because I love doing the hand-drawn animations mm. um, to sort of convey messages or, you know, to sort of, um, you know, that's very much my personal thing is is the hand-drawn side of it. But then also it's, you can be more improvisational with the abstract stuff and the effects. So it's a nice combination that way. And I'm just learning some new software, which will give me a bit more creative freedom as well with the abstract stuff. And so it's a nice combination of the two. I mean, I can imagine that after so many years of playing together and also being partners outside of music, that you guys know each other really well. Um, do you think that that's an essential part of what makes your performances so strong is that you know each other so well? Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, another way. Um, um, yeah. Um, we don't really sort of, um, you just get in the zone, don't you? Yeah. You don't really think about that's the great thing, I suppose. And then maybe that's, maybe that's the point is that because mm -hmm. we know each other so well we can just get in the zone and we're not thinking we're not having to think yeah we don't plan yeah. any we don't plan anything out so we practice together though. we practice yeah so i i the music i do in my own studio and and susie does her visual stuff uh, in her space mm -hmm. and then when we've got gigs coming up we get together and we've got a big screen and a projector in this room here and we and just do we, yeah we just we just do it as if we were doing stuff. a gig yeah. um so in those practices we we try things out individually but we don't plan it i don't tell her what i'm going to do and she she doesn't tell me what she's going to do we just yeah, it's just become natural, I suppose, after so long. Um, so probably, yes. <laughs> yeah, it would have been the same plans. And so does your own performance partnership, like, give you insights that allow you to better pair up VJs and artists when you're doing your bookings, for example? We do try to, where possible, give VJs, and I, I do communicate with the VJs about any particular artists that they you know, sort of musical styles that they feel more comfortable with working with. Um, and then with some of the VJ lineups, I'd have it where if some of the VJs know each other quite well, they can choose between them a little bit how to split the time. There's an element of volition. The visual choices tend to follow the, the, the music lineup choices, right. but there's quite a lot of freedom within it. So. so I know that you, you mentioned this earlier uh, in the conversation, but I know that you guys met something like 20, 20 years ago. Um, you mentioned when Stevia was throwing warehouse parties and Susie, I think you were an art student. Can you talk about that time in your life just briefly? Like when you guys met, did it feel like something sort of clicked into place for both of you? Um, Definitely. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, we knew each other quite a long time before we sort of were going out with each other. Um, properly uh so yeah but it just sort of grew from that um well i mean because we, we met because i i i fell in love with dance music parties and the sort of vibe and the and you know he was putting them on and and very involved in the scene in newcastle so um we met through the shared passion 
of the music, which is a nice, good that that's carried through as our sort of, as what we're both involved in together. It's really mm-hmm. nice that that's been our way of combining. And so you mentioned that both of you obviously are music lovers, but I wonder, and obviously Susie, you're an art lover, but I wonder if you can recall like when things shifted from just being people who loved music or loved art into somebody who wanted to make music. Like I think it's quite an important distinction and I think a lot of artists can really point to like this moment where they felt a need to express themselves um has there been a moment like that for you guys for me that I was 11 years old when that happened Hmm. so um I I was really into music before that I was buying records vinyl records then and we're talking about the 1960s (laughs) and I was really into sort of acid rock and uh, you know Jimi Hendrix and and then Led Zeppelin and people like that um I at the first the first people I was the first uh, band I was in it was the Beatles and the, the first record I bought was uh, <laughs> Strawberry Fields by the Beatles so it was all basically hippie psychedelic kind of music from the late 60s and I was too young to know what the actual, what that was all about, really. But, you know, it was, I just picked up on the music and I just instantly wanted to do it. I don't know, I don't know what, what, why or anything. I just thought, I want to play, I want to play the drums, but I also wanted to play the guitar, which was strange. So my parents bought me a drum kit, I think it was for my 11th birthday. Uh, sorry, for the 11th Christmas. And then the next Christmas, they bought me an electric guitar. So I had both things at the same time. And But I sort of gravitated towards the drums, really. I, I can't really explain why I wanted to do it. It just, I just did. I just, you know, it's just a, an impulse, really, I suppose. Eventually, I ended up as a guitarist. So I drummed for about 10 years. And then I started playing guitar. And I ended up being a guitarist in a band. So I was a drummer in a band, then I was a guitarist in a band in the, in the 1980s. Um, so yeah, I just it just it just gradually grew from that. I, I started quite young with those kind of instruments that you know from rock. It was rock music at the time, mm-hmm. um, but I was always into the kind of the electronic sort of side to it. So like people like Pink Floyd and bands like that where you know and bands that had synthesizers and so just, there was something about that so when techno came along it was just I just sort of went straight into that no problem at all because mm-hmm. the the, te- the drumming the, the drumming side of me goes mm-hmm. with the you know techno rhythms are very mm-hmm. tribal and and so percussive so that was I latched onto that straight away it's just been a long, long, slow process over a long period of time till I got to that point in the early 90s when I was doing techno. And then I sort of stuck with it since. Uh, I'd basically gone from one music style to another all the way through up to that <laughs> point. So, yeah, I can't I can't pinpoint a moment uh, where I suddenly decided I wanted to do that. It just, just happened, really. And Susie, how about you? It's the same with a lot of artists. It's just always been my thing. It's just always been like, you know, my mum would say, 
as soon as I could hold a pencil, you know, that's what I was doing. Um, and I, throughout my life, found that if I'm not doing art or drawing regularly, then I start to lose my myself. I've been quite lucky that I've been one of those people that's always known what they wanted to do. And um, it's it was a totally unexpected development to go down the sort of, well, it, I've always liked animation, but um, I've always been a traditional artist. Uh -huh. um, so it's been really, it's been like a really interesting, fascinating learning curve to um, to work with technology and software and even to perform. Performing is not something that comes naturally to me at all. I'd much rather hide in the corner and <laughs> not have anyone see me. Um, but it also feels right for us to play beside each other because of the, the energy of that. So I have to put my myself to one side and you know be allow myself to be part of the party and that's you know it's the love of being part of that group of people dancing together and being a part of it that uh, is more important than whether I feel silly standing up there <laughs> I'm, but I'm keeping on with my painting as well. Over the years uh, for both of you, has your interest in self-expression evolved? Like, do you find that new doors are always opening in terms of like how you're going to express yourself, or are you finding that you are focusing more and more on one thing as time goes on? Uh, well, from my point of view, like we we were talking about before, the whole modular thing mm. um, that was that that's what I'm focused on at the moment. But I'm not, you know, it doesn't mean I'm always going to be focused on that, but. That was purely because it gave me the option to design my own instruments effectively because mm -hmm. I always felt like I'm using a drum machine. I am, you know, I've got a, a 909 and I've got a 303. I got all, the, uh, uh, all those sort of classic techno instruments. And I always found that they were a bit limited because you're stuck with what's in the box. Whereas with the modular thing, I could. Ex express myself better because uh, it meant I could put little bits together and create an instrument myself. So my, my actual rig is just one instrument, really. It's all interconnected. There's no, you know, it's like one big um, electronic instrument that I'm learning how to play and mm -hmm. adapting as I go along. So it's a lot different to, you know, when you, when I started out, I couldn't afford to keep buying different synthesizers and drum machines. I had one or two, and I stuck with them for a long, long time. And with the modular thing, you can just keep changing it. Every, you know, if you want to change it every day, you can change it every day. So it's an evolving instrument, and also it's so complex that you're never going to really master it. It's just, it's something you've got to have to do for the rest of your life, effectively. I quite like the thought of that. I quite like the thought of, well, this is it now. I'm, you know, I'm learning this instrument. I'm building this instrument. I'm adapting it and making it how I want it to be. So it does what I want it to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of that, I'm probably going to be doing it for quite a long time. It has got the potential to be anything you want. And it's also got mm -hmm. the, the potential to make any kind of music you want. So you're not trapped by the designer of the instrument. Uh, or, you know, or the design of the instrument. Like I say with a guitar, you you know, you 
you can only do certain things and it, it's got a certain sound and you can get different guitars that sound a bit different to each other, but you've got a system that you've got to adhere to mostly, you know, so it, it's just, a, yeah, I suppose that's what it's, I'm trying to say. more freedom with the mathematics as well, because you give, you've got a lot of complex mathematics that, that sort of almost got feedback loops within it kind of thing that I don't know if maybe you yeah. couldn't do that in a, in any other way i'm sure mm. well there's a lot of instruments there's a lot of instruments appeared in the um mid 90s uh that were called virtual analogs which were digital instruments but designed around a, an analog uh design but they were very adaptable and they were a bit like a modular that that you know you could send signals from here to there or whatever um, whereas it is, whereas you know, a fixed architecture synthesizer, you know, you're stuck with the designer's ideas, and you know, okay, there'll be some flexibility in that. With the modular, you you can, uh, it's like Susie was saying, the the mathematics is the thing that I focus on because, in general, if you listen to most uh, dance music or any kind of music, there's a there's a core mathematics going on. Um, which sort of uh, specifically with genres, you hear something, you know that that is that genre, mm-hmm. usually because of maybe oh, obviously the sounds are involved, the but the rhythms are usually a mathematical thing. With the modular, you can really kind of mess that up and go in and get some crazy um, sort of mathematics going. <laughs> and it sort of it, it kind of feels like it's a creative. That's very creative to me that, mm-hmm. that you're not just stuck with right. I'm just going to have a boom boom kind of rhythm. It's I can do this. I can do that. Uh, I'll try that out. If that doesn't work, I'll try something else. So yeah, so it's just a, such a flexible format. I think last night I was speaking with a jazz musician called Arturo Sandoval, and he was telling me that. Pretty much he just loves expressing himself with music. So he finds any possible way he can to accomplish that, whether it's teaching or writing lyrics or composing or actually playing his instruments. Um, So I wonder if that resonates with you guys. Like, is free rotation simply another means of self-expression for you guys? Yeah, Yeah, I would say, yeah, it's got to be, isn't it? Because it's, it's, yeah, it's another platform to put forward your ethos as well as your aesthetics um and i guess in a way you're creating the uh, what you call you're um i was going to say you're creating the honey to get the bees to come but then the, it's still the way around isn't it <laughs> you're creating yeah. the, the flowers for the bees to come like in a way you're you're inviting your natural friend your natural tribe to come to you in a way that way aren't you and and uh, mm-hmm. people vibe off the same things it started out that way didn't it yeah i think it, that there's not the differentiation between the organizers and the people yeah, and the artists is is mm-hmm. really it's yeah. really broken down yeah. um especially the artists because we have this kind of we have this rule uh, rules may be the wrong word but we we ask the artists to come for the whole weekend that we won't have someone turn up with a bag of records play them and go back to the airport and fly off to do another gig mm-hmm. so it's kind of they 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 have to come for the whole weekend and because of that they interact with the people while they're there because they're there for three days and it sort of develops a 
a kind of you get lots of collaborations and friendships developing uh, between the artists and the the party goers. It the, the lines become blurred. That that's how it seems to work now. When we started, we sort of set the agenda a bit. We said, right, this is what we're going to do. Um, you know, this is what we want want it to be like. Whereas now, it kind of it's taken on a life of its own, and we, it's hard yeah. to differentiate between you know the people who play and the people who dance. So that's that wasn't planned from the start, but once it started to develop, we encouraged it. So, how else do you hope to express your creativity in the future? Like, do you feel that there's new things that you want to bring to the table, whether that's to do with the festival or not? A factor that we want to bring in more to the festival in, as time goes on is the environmental side of things. And that's a big subject. Um, and we're sort of just, at, I mean, we've got initial sort of starting points that we've been able to, to take at the stage, um, you know, to, to make it as green as we could within, you know, the, the paradigm that it is um, and in the venue and so on. Um, so we're, we've already made positive steps in that direction, but we feel like as a community, the whole music community is asking these questions now. And like with the whole COVID thing has sort of dispersed a lot of people's focus uh-huh. because, you know, we've all been trying to sort of get by and survive and sort of restock kind of, and, you know, um, even things like, growing vegetables and things like that. It's all part of that connecting with nature and um, healing and so on. On that level, we've brought in more, you know, yoga and things like that mm-hmm. um, because you've got to heal on, on every level, including the planetary level. And we support a charity called Size of Wales, which is uh, protecting the area of rainforest twice the size of Wales in Africa and South America. We want to take that side of things further forward and I suppose I mean creativity includes every aspect of life doesn't it and it's a dialogue and a kind of uh, communication that we want to increasingly explore with other people who are in the same boat and you know asking the same questions about where we draw the line with certain certain aspects of putting an event on and and what positive things you can do as well in terms of inspiring people and it even comes down to the value of that sense of community and things like that so that's one whole area that so going to be a, a journey of discovery myself for example I'm with my I've been doing more painting while we've had lockdown as well and I'm developing using eco-friendly paints and mm-hmm. I want you know and I'm sort of trying to look at every we you know look at every aspect of our lives about how we can can make positive changes you make choices for that reason which then gives you more creative journeys to explore there's a good basis for the yeah. environmental good side point. but then when it comes to flying we've got we've got the choices are we don't fly anyone mm-hmm. um, which means all the artists are going to come from the UK or travel by train or uh, from Europe um, and we've looked into all the We've looked into all this, and it's not easy because, for a start, it, the, the rail system in the UK is antiquated. Um, it's slow. It's expensive. 
-hmm. And in quite large parts of Europe, it's like that as well. So it's not easy for, say, because we, you know, we have quite a lot of artists come from maybe Berlin or somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and Sweden and, you know, and places like that. For them to get a free rotation by train, it's almost impossible. You know, we we had a, we had a gig in Berlin before the lockdown, and we actually looked into how, you know, can we get to Berlin on the train with all our equip with equipment, and and it was just not going to work. It was going to take like nearly a whole day, nearly twenty four hours or something to do it with five or six changes. Uh, on the trains it was going to cost about 500 pounds it just was just it just wasn't possible we would theoretically have to have no foreign artists play for irritation but that would completely destroy the 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 whole ethos of it because the whole point of it is to bring people together from all over the world to to um bounce ideas off each other and get inspired by each other and so we're in this kind of really unusual situation and we don't know what to do. We can reduce the number of people flying. We can put restrictions on it, like, for instance, long-haul flyers from, from America and places have mm. got to have five gigs in Europe if, they're gonna, if we're going to book them. We won't right. book them to come and play one gig and things like that, but it's still not enough, really. And so we're kind of hoping, well, th- there is uh, people like um, Clean mm. Scene, mm who uh, we've been talking to um, and, you know, they're looking into trying to clean up the whole, uh, the whole that whole aspect of, of clubbing and, and artists. And yeah. so it is, it is happening, but I can see it being very difficult and, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's difficult for us to know what to do. Um, you know, we, we don't want to stop those people coming to future. Some of them have been coming from the start, you know, some of them are, are our residents Um how do we, you know, how do we deal with that? So it, it's an ongoing thing. We can't, it's difficult to make those choices in isolation. And anyway, you know, over time, by connecting more and more with other people who are asking the same questions, um, you'll, we'll be able to see a way forward. You know, if, if, if one person makes a choice, that's one thing. But if, if a whole bunch of people are, are making those same choices, then um, there's a bigger effect. So, you know, I think it's there's lots yeah, of reasons yeah. to connect more with the, the the wider community, and I mean we know how how serious climate change is, and mm-hmm. it's a question of what's the right course of action and how do we get the right balance between people connecting and the the value in that. Yeah, it's a lot to think about. And so, what about on a more like personal or artistic level? Um, is there something that you're looking forward to doing, or something that you're looking forward to expressing? We we'll, we'll do want to create more of a sort of more recorded pieces that are um, audiovisual animations. Um, yeah. That's something that we've talked about a long time. Yeah, we, 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 we've done, I mean, we've, we've put a, a few things out, quite a lot of things out on YouTube, which are almost sketch-like, really. Um, you know, some music with some visuals to it. Like, almost like a snapshot of one of our gigs. And we've done a few live jams and put YouTube videos out and, but we kind of would like this to be a little bit more adventurous, a bit, you know, maybe a bigger project that, um, that's, you know, almost like a, sm- a short film or something that, you know, has got a bit more kind of production value to it. Deeper integration between the yeah, visual yeah. and the... At the, moment, at the moment, what we do is we jam by ourselves, but together. 
So um, we're bouncing off each other, but we're still just doing our own thing. Uh, you know, there, there's not a massive connection between the, the visual aspect and the music in the sense that they're not like in, actually connected, whereas they were when we started, which is quite bizarre. When we started, we were very particular about, I was using more MIDI at the time because so, I was using drum machines and synths. So we could send MIDI signals and we could have bits of visuals triggered by certain kind of thick, certain instruments would trigger this this image or that image in in time with the, the the music and stuff like that. But once we started improvising, that kind of had to go. And and also when I stopped using MIDI because I don't use MIDI, once it became analog, um, purely analog, it was more, much more difficult. I do send MIDI to Susie in a clock so she gets. She gets the, the timings there, but mm-hmm. but we're both just free agents jamming with each other. There's no there's no actual uh, mathematical connection, and that's what we want to try and get back, like we like we were when we started. Mm-hmm. Um, it just got so complicated now compared to what it was when we started. It was very simple what we were doing. Um, so I suppose that is a thing for the future for us. We we want to integrate more, don't we? Yeah. yeah. been listening to stevie o and Susie b for air podcast episode 46 we'll be back on the last wednesday of every month so check back in july for the next one in the meantime you can follow us on instagram at at underscore air podcast or support us on patreon at patreon.com slash air thanks for listening